Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. Whenever you feel uncomfortable, that tells you, it should tell you, there's something else on the other side. Mm. Otherwise, I'd be complacent and comfortable. My name is Datavio Samuels, and welcome to The Black Print, where I sit with the innovators, disruptors, and change makers. My guests open up about every step of their journey and share lessons learned along the way to provide creators, entrepreneurs, and executives with a tangible blueprint for navigating to the top of their industry. This is The Black Print. Welcome to The Black Print, season two of The Black Print. You know, every time I love to open up with this quote, which is, everybody sees you on the mountaintop but not everybody sees you on the climb. Here's the conversation where we get to the raw details about what the climb was like. I am honored to be here with this queen, my sister, Maisha Dillinger, who is building an incredible beauty platform for black women. And so I don't think that, that I can introduce you in the way that I want to. So I want you to brag a little bit about mm. yourself. Let the people know who you are. Okay, well, I can do that without a problem. Okay. <laughs> My name is Mahisha Dillinger. I am the founder and pioneer in the natural hair space. Curls is a multi-million dollar brand that is distributed in over 300,000 doors mm. worldwide. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a sister girlfriend, I'm also a mentor, I'm a leader, I'm a mogul, I'm a lot of things. I wear a lot of hats. But one thing I'm about is really helping my black women achieve success. So that's a big piece of who I am beyond making the money, how to show others to do it too. Love all of that. Okay, so now that you all know who she is today, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Okay. Tell me just about your childhood. Where did you grow up? What was that life like? Did you grow up in a single parent household, both parents in the home? Just kind of tell me a little bit about your childhood. Ooh, it was rough. It was okay. rough. My mom um, did the best she could, though. Mm. She really did. Single parent home in the projects. Danger Island was my neighborhood. Mm. My brother got caught up in the Bloods, Medivy Bloods, and he became really active. House got shot up at least three times. Home invasions in our neighborhood, murders, you know, a lot of drug activity and addicts and just poverty and despair. People didn't really, I, a lot of my friends were pregnant by 15, my girlfriends. A lot of their brothers didn't make it to see 18. So you didn't see really success. It was like generational cycles of poverty. And I knew I wanted something more. But the thing that really stood out to me was seeing how my mom struggled without education to make it. So that told me something else. Okay, everyone on my mom's side, which I grew up with, didn't even finish high school. 
My dad's side, who didn't marry my mom because she wasn't on the right side of the railroad tracks, was successful. I would see him twice a month. I saw the difference in their lives, and I said, okay, yeah, I want this life over here. So what did he do differently? He was educated. He was professional. He went beyond the norms of what I guess was expected for black men. And he was, David Vernon was beautiful. My father passed away in 99. Women stopped him everywhere we went. He was articulate, intelligent, beautiful, flashy dresser, and just commanded attention. And that man was my hero, right? So I would see him and go, that's the life I want. And I would go back home in the hood and then experience everything else. My neighborhood, though, was just, it was crazy. My brother was caught up in the bloods, right? And he had a best friend, KK, KK right? And his best friend and him went to do a drive-by on some crips, right? They retaliated. So they shot our house up, but they also did a home invasion into KK's house. And they came in looking for KK and shot and killed KK's mom. Right down the street. Wow. So KK's mom is my mom's friend. His sister Keisha and I are friends. Like, not even a five minute walk. This is like the neighborhood I lived in. And then he had, a, my brother recruited Carlton. Carlton was a year younger than me. And Carlton would come over and tease me for studying all the time. Oh, you're, you're a nerd, you're a bookworm. And I'm like, whatever, we'll see where I'll be in 10 years. Where are you gonna be? Well, the next year he was shot in his head. Drug deal gone bad, you know? And he was only 15 years old. Just craziness, just craziness. So that was what I saw. Can and I my pop mom... in there real quick? Mm -hmm. Can I pop in there real quick? So uh, one of my favorite quotes is exposure to the next level breeds an intolerance for your current situation. What's mm. interesting about your story is you got both exposure to what was possible, but you were living like the way black people like you were living in the mud. How yeah. did it feel kind of like living in the mud yet being exposed to this other side that you're like is the aspirational version of what you think is possible? Well, I knew that I never really belonged in the mud because I was David Vernon's daughter. Mm -hmm. So whatever it was about his energy, his, the way he, I just knew I was his bloodline. And so it felt temporal, but I didn't see a path. I didn't see a path. Mm -hmm. I didn't. Um, but he was, he was sometimes there twice a month to sometimes four. And then when my mom and him fought, then he would go away for six months or whatever. So it was very, it wasn't very stable, but yet he was still my hero. Um, so yeah, it was interesting though, but it was really, I feel I used to be really embarrassed about my background, but now I feel like it really helped to mold and shape me because grit, you cannot teach. Period. Perseverance, you cannot teach. Period. You cannot. And that is like innate in me to not get it. I get it. I'm going to make it happen. And finding a solution. It's like, no is not no. It means not right now to me. Mm. So that's one thing I worry about with my, my bougie kids, though. They don't have any grit because <laughs> they don't have any struggles. Sure, sure. Yeah, I always think about, you know, people who are who have made it to the level that you've made it to, who are fluent, who are raising children. And it's kind of like this idea where it's like you want them to have the scar tissue that you've built up without having to live the experiences, mm. right? Um, so maybe we'll get to that a little bit later. But now I want to go to this idea that's like... Um, you're, you're, you're living in the mud. <clears throat> you have exposure to what's next, but your words were, but I didn't see a pathway. When do you begin to find a pathway out? And what is that pathway? 
I didn't see the path until I was six months pregnant and abandoned by my daughter's father. How old are you? I was 20. And um, yeah, he broke up with me, sent me back home to my mom's, and I was determined not to let her life be like mine. So that gave me a fire. She's my muse. Her name is Kiana. She works for Curl still. Okay. Yeah. She's gotten fired three times, but she's doing great now. She's doing great now. <laughs> you fired your daughter three, three times. times. <laughs> yeah, three times. But she's great. She's amazing. She's an amazing lady. But when I was pregnant with her and he left me, I was so vulnerable and I had to figure it out. And I thought this is going to be, it's not if or it's when. Mm. I had to make it happen. And that's what created a fire in me is having this living, breathing baby in my stomach that I had to care for. I said, oh, no, I'm going to make it happen. You're going to find your way. Now, I know somewhere along the line, you also have, like, a God experience. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about, like, when does that happen? And what does that, in terms of, like, mean, in terms of the meaning for your life back then? My mom was um, raised in church. But she went astray a little bit later in life. And she came back when I was in sixth grade. Um, and so her life was a mess back then. She was dating sketchy people back then. And then in sixth grade, it shifted. She stopped, and we started going to church. She got us baptized, and our lives became stable. Mm. Like we had, you know, Friday night service, Wednesday, Sunday. I became a part of something bigger, and I had my own experience with God. I, you know, was baptized. I received the Holy Ghost. I um, had friends at church that I grew up with, and it was a sense of belonging, mm. right? So experience was my own with God. My mom brought me in, but I had my own experience. My brother never did. He was too caught up in the system. By 15, he was first time in jail, 15, in the system by 16, and still in and out. And he's 54 years old. So he never was able to, like, get it together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it was a great moment for me because it was stability, because mm -hmm. our lives were not stable. I moved to schools every year. Second grade somewhere, third grade somewhere, fourth grade somewhere, fifth and sixth, the same place. It was not stable. Mm -hmm. So somewhere along the line, you find stability in a relationship with God and your mom finding relationship in God, which allows her to provide stability. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. For the family, um, you begin to find your path out when you are 20 years old and pregnant. Are you in college and at 20 years? Like, where are you at, at, at 20 years old? I was in college and I was um, going to go to Spelman, but I, I was at a JC. I was going to go to Spelman and I, I was pregnant with Kiana. Um, so I stayed back in California and my mom helped me raise her so I can finish school. 
So I stayed, I had to go to a CSU school, mm-hmm. but it still worked out. Um, I got an internship at Intel um, and kept it moving. I did, I worked for Intel. I went to school. I had my baby in private preschool and I was making it happen for me. I was working towards my goals of becoming, I thought, an Intel executive. That was mm. my path that I had led for myself, but you know, that kind of was derailed. But derailed I had a path. Talk to me about that, derailed how. Well, I had, you know, when I was an intern there, I had a great experience, but then I wind up getting two job offers when I, when I graduated and I went into one department and one manager, he was horrific. He was helping mm. on getting rid of me. Mm. Despite everything I did, I was a top performer, first one in, last one out. I was, I did everything that I should do on paper to excel, right? But he put me on a corrective action plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's his way of getting rid of me legally, right? And I didn't understand. I was like so so scared. I had a baby to take care of. I had all these responsibilities. And I remember praying and saying, God, you have to move this man because I was trying to interview out of the company, out of the department. He would bash my name every time someone would call. And I said, you have to move this man because he is not letting me out. He's blocking me. And two weeks later, he came to our department meeting and said, I was offered a promotion until Malaysia. I don't know if I'm going to go, but I'll let you guys know. Well, he took the promotion. And that enabled me to get out of the department because mm-hmm. he was blocking me. And I did, but I had a full circle moment because he came back maybe a year later and I saw him in the cafe and he saw me and he knew he was wrong. And so there's like a pillar in between our tables. So he got up to sit behind it so he wouldn't have a direct view of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sent him a nice little note about how, I know he tried to you know, bash my career and he gave me a slower than on my review. When I was ranked after you left, I got rated faster. I got a raise. I got stock options. I knew it was off. That was just validation for me. Mm. Um, And so I let him know. And then I saw him about five years ago on Facebook. And I DM'd him with the two words, Google me. I love it. Winning. Okay. And he blocked me after that. (laughs) Yeah, we don't need his energy. Um, What are your thoughts on, so I think the experience that you express is an experience that a lot of people have, specifically a lot of black people, maybe a lot of black women have, where they feel like they are performing and capable of performing at the top of the top, yet there is this block. Do you have any advice or thoughts for Mm. people who are in that situation? Should you run? Should you leave? Should you stick it out? Should you confront it head on? Like for people who are literally in the same situation that you were in back then, what would you tell them today? That's a hard one. That's so hard because I went to HR, got no support. Mm. I went to his boss, got no support. It is a hard thing to navigate. And so, and I was emotional. I shouldn't have been, I was like crying. I was stressed out about it. Um, I say go where you are comfortable and you're valued. Don't stay where you're not. I know it's easier said than done, um, but that's why there's so many black women creating businesses. We're up 300% business owners. We're the fastest growing segment of entrepreneurs for that reason. And so I think my recommendation is go and have your side hustle while you work for the man that's not going to appreciate you mm-hmm. and then make that side hustle your main hustle. Cause that's mm-hmm. what I did. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you to stay and try to work it out. Cause I didn't have the patience for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have two thoughts there. One thing is I think so often people chase the job and then try to fit as opposed to finding the job that fits and going there. Right. I believe that authenticity and who we are is like our superpower. And if we're constantly trying to fit ourselves into roles that were not built for us or they will not accept us, you will never get to unlock or unleash that superpower, right? So your point is like, go find the place where like, you can be the amazing human that that you are. 
we need more companies like this. That's the problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and like this. And like curls. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like we, we need more. Yeah. So we can be ourselves mm -hmm. and really thrive because we are talented people, right? Mm -hmm, we have so mm -hmm. much to bring and offer. So that's the challenge. The other thought that I have just listening to you talk is like, um, I have like in my book, I talk about this idea of like, there's a big machine and a small machine. So the big machine is where you go to work and work pays the bills mm -hmm. and you get to learn, et cetera. But the small machine is what you do on the side. Mm -hmm. That's what you call your side hustle, right? And the two are often synonymous, right? It's like you get, you get to do things in the small machine that you can't do at the big machine because you're in control over here. And then you can bring those ideas there. But the big machine often funds the small machine right so what was your small machine and when did you get it were you at Intel when you started doing your side hustle talk to me about the small machine yes the small machine was curls back in 2002 I launched okay. but I did the work before that that was my experience with that corporate racism issue and I remember I'm gonna figure out what I'm gonna do with myself besides this mm. and I was working the big machine to fund the small machine. There you go. And I always recommend my mentees do this. Don't leave your day job until you can support yourself. I did both for like four years. But I left wow. Intel to go to Pfizer to do it because Intel was too granular. I couldn't have done launch curls at Intel. I had to go to a sales position where I actually owned my calendar. Mm -hmm. So I left Intel and went to Pfizer. And so legal drugs, okay. top <laughs> drugs in my, in my class, <laughs> top saleswoman in my class. And I did both for four years. I would actually go, do... Pfizer sells from eight to noon. I see all my doctors by noon and then come home and do curls the rest of the day. And I did that for four years until I couldn't do it anymore. And then when the kids went to sleep, I worked more mm -hmm. and had two babies along the way. So yeah, I had three kids, yeah, two woman. jobs and husband. Yeah. That was a lot. Yeah. It, it sounds like a lot, but there's a couple of gems in there. One is you had a side hustle and you switched to a big machine that would give you the space and the time to really focus on your side hustle mm -hmm. and do the other things that were clearly important to you. And Pfizer was a big piece of that because Pfizer gave me a corporate job, car, corporate mm -hmm. account and a great salary and a great bonus. Mm. So finding that opportunity that can help support you to help that side or that small machine become bigger. Mm -hmm. And that's what that big machine did. Mm -hmm. It enabled me to grow that small one organically over time. We were e-commerce 100% and I was doing both until this happened. So let's talk about that because you say you tell your mentees all the time, don't jump until you're ready. Don't jump until the small machine is ready to support you. Um, talk to me about what made you feel ready to take the leap. What made you say, okay, I don't need an Intel. I don't need a Pfizer. It's about to be curls all day long, baby. Like what made you, like what, what point were you at where you felt comfortable taking that leap? I was in year four. And I said, in December, it was like July, in December, I'm gonna put my notice in. Um, we had made it to like $2 million or something. I thought, okay, or maybe three, four. It's been a while, <laughs> maybe, maybe four, something like that. And I was like, okay, I can do this, but I have to have a small staff. Um, let me see if I can, you know, finagle here, have interns, et cetera. And I said, I'm going to put my notice in. And then we got noticed that they were going to do layoffs mm. with severance packages. I'm like, Jesus, please lay me off. I got laid off with a big severance package I in December. Oh, I love it. So I, I put it, it out there and I got that I money it. and put it into the business. I love it. I was the only one happy to get yeah. laid off. <laughs> I was so happy. I was so happy. So that was that moment. And that was reinvested back in the company. 
Always reinvest every penny back into your company. Mm. Do not take a dime out until you're ready to sustain. Why? Because I think people leave and rely on that company, the profits to support themselves. You need to give it time to grow and every penny has to get reinvested in or otherwise you're going to take longer to grow it, mm -hmm. right? So I didn't take a salary for a long time. I had Pfizer, right? So four years, Pfizer covered the bills. Um, and then I did not take a salary until after I left Pfizer. Um, but I grew it to a point where I knew that the business was sustainable at repeat customers and business. I had interest from the targets of the world. I started to get interest. So I knew, okay, this actually has legs. Mm. Before social media, we can hire like an influencer to go promote your brand. This is before MySpace. Think about all the time. This is a wow. while ago. So it was definitely like a lot of grassroots, guerrilla marketing, like really getting down on mm -hmm. in the dirt, getting mm -hmm. dirty to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And it was fun though. It was fun. Mm -hmm. So at this point in time, you have a largely e-commerce business, but it's spending off enough money for you to pay yourself a salary and jump out and be full time. Right. Okay. Um, how did it feel when you quit? Do you remember what that feeling when you left Pfizer and you were like, hey, I'm about to give 100% of my energy to... to I was nervous. Oh, were you nervous? Was, was that what the feeling was? I was, okay. <laughs> I was a little nervous. I was. But I already spoke it. I spoke it into existence. I said December and it happened. It came. I'm a big believer in speaking things, right? And then also... If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. So vision boards and, and then praying. And so I knew that... I felt at that moment, though I was nervous, but I felt that it was going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I had enough traction, enough interest, and and I, I felt that it was God was moving in my life and moving in my in my business. And I was so nervous, but you can't let fear hold you back. Mm -hmm. So I, I I pounced and I did, I worked even harder than before. It's easy to say you can't let fear hold you back. Do you have tangible things that you do to, and then I've heard some of it, right? You clearly have a process. You prayed and you set up and like, but do you have, for those people who are struggling with fear, do you have any thoughts or ideas about how you don't let fear stop? Like I always say like, um, emotions are data, not directions, right? Mm. You, can, you can be fearful, you can be nervous, but that doesn't mean that it's the direction you should go in. Do you have any thoughts for people who are wrestling with fear and um, it's stopping them from doing what they believe in their spirit or in their soul they should be doing in this moment? You know, we have such a natural reaction to stop when we feel fear, mm -hmm. but fear should push you to feel like there's something beyond that that's holding me back to getting to that next level. When you feel fear, there's something bigger out there for you. And we are so afraid of failing in this land of social media and people are instantly become millionaires overnight and you don't measure up to that. People are afraid to really take their leap. Mm -hmm. But remember, failure isn't final. Mm -hmm. It's a lesson. And mm -hmm. I had to learn that the hard way. Failure is not final. It's a lesson. It's not also, it also does not define who you are. Mm -hmm. And you should fail fast early on because that enabled you to learn lessons. Now that was a hard one for me because I didn't have a lot of failure initially with curls. Mm. I had to learn that myself too. So I can, I speak what I know from experience, but whenever you feel uncomfortable, that tells you, it should tell you there's something else on the other side. Mm. Otherwise I'll be complacent and comfortable. Mm -hmm.
Mm-hmm. You will never, you will never reach success being comfortable. hundred percent. Yep. Those places where we are the most uncomfortable is the only time we get to grow. Okay. So you fail somewhere along the line. Yeah. Where is it? Ooh, that was a hard one. And there may be multiple ones, but like, what's this like, is the hardest. give me, yeah, give me the big one. Give me the big failure. This is hard because it, it hit my ego, mm. my pride, my self-esteem. It was a dark year for me that year. So rewind back. We had a lot of success with our launches, right? So our blueberry collection, very popular and anything we launched, the buyers would take up and put in all their shelves, right? So I didn't follow my normal protocol of first going online for a year, having the consumers love it, gravitate, and then send it to to retail. Mm -hmm. I had all the buyers in my ear wanting new, 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 now, now, now. And so I launched two new collections quickly Mm. without doing the process. Mm. And what was the process? What was the the process process you were historically doing? Before that, those two launches, I would do my focus groups and also have it online first for a year, Mm. um, build up the demand, have obviously a lot of influencers, a lot of, you know, marketing before I hit the stores. I went from development directly to the stores Mm. with not time with the consumer. And above and beyond that, despite being exceptionally great lines, they looked totally different from the other collections. So they didn't register as curls, right? And I was talking to different consumers, but they wanted it and they loved it. And it doesn't matter what they wanted. If you don't perform and sell X amount of units per store per week, every week, every month, every quarter, every year, they look at those mm-hmm. store your sales per store per week you lose your, your, your real estate. Mm. So both lines, those new lines were deleted. And that mm. was like a $7 million bill. A what? Say the number $7 million dollar bill. Because that's like deletions, taking off the shelf, reductions, Inventory. all the things. And it was like, okay, whoa. That was a dark year. Mm. I took it so personally. So I had to really learn a lot about myself. I'm so connected to the brand as my fifth child. I birthed it. I did, you know, it was my baby. So any failure, it was just devastating. That was the biggest one for me. Mm, number one emotion you think you were wrestling with or number, you know, top three emotions you were wrestling with at that time. Oh, <sighs> confidence mm-hmm. issues with my, okay, well, wow. Did I, what's wrong with me? Did I, and am I losing it? Mm-hmm. You know, self-esteem, pride, all the things. It was just, it was a dark time. I felt like I was spiraling emotionally, mentally with it. Because it was too connected to me. I, you have to learn in business, business is like monopoly. You're playing a game. It's not you as a person. It's a game to win, but it's not, it shouldn't be who you are. Mm. It shouldn't be so solely connected to your emotional being. Most people are, are, I would say even men that operate and do well with business, know that it's, it's, it's a business and don't get caught up in it to the point where if you have to sell it, that you feel so emotionally tied to it. That's how it should be. Is that way? Is that the way it's, it was with me or is with me? No, so connected to it, so connected. But the rational way is to be more removed and operate it as a game of monopoly. I love that. So you are um, wrestling with confidence, pride, dealing with a $7 million hit to your business. You're still mom, you're still wife. How did you keep going? I assume you had to keep going because you're here now, mm. right? Like, yeah. how did you keep going? How did, did you need to take time off? Did you just keep pushing? Like, how did you, how did you keep moving? Uh, 
Yeah, uh, I'm not going there. I got, it was dark. <laughs> yeah. It was dark. It was dark. It was too, it shouldn't have been that dark though. Honestly, it shouldn't have been that much of a hit to me, but it was. Mm. I had to like, I got, I got counseling, therapy. I, I drank too much mm. during that time. I really did. I was numbing myself. I was trying to just get through the day. That whole year was a blur. Mm -hmm. I think it, it wasn't so much that money, it was the money. It was the loss of real estate because I was used to having, you know, my 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 real estate being, you know, wide and expansive, right? You mean your was, real estate on the shelves? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. on the shelves. I'm sorry, my, you know, the seeing my mark, and then the rejection. I guess it was a little bit of rejection, if I can speak that. I think that was part of it. I'm an Aries woman. We don't like that. Okay. We don't like rejection. <laughs> It doesn't work for us very well. Mm -hmm. It was a lot. It was mm -hmm. a lot. But I got through it. How? How do you get to the other side? Do you remember? I do remember, I do remember going up for prayer at the Potter's House North. Mm. And I was just a mess. And I was like, I just want to be relieved of this. I remember the moment. And that was always just me. That was every Sunday. And I think I got to a point where I realized, okay, Mahisha, this is part of the lesson. This is part of the path. And learn from it and move on. But it was a year. Mm -hmm. It was a year. It was a mm -hmm. long time. Mm -hmm. So then let's, let's, let's get out of the year of darkness into a year of light. So like, what is your next big win that lets you start to begin to build that momentum again to get to be the woman and the person that you are? Can you remember? Um, I don't know if there, there wasn't one big win because I, I know that my history with all the, the um, buyers and all the stores, my partners had some weight. Mm -hmm. So they're like, you know, we understand. We're gonna, you know, let's see, let's partner together and work on some projects together. So we created our new collection here and there for women that wear wigs, we have extensions. Like I have a piece on now, but what do you do when your hair isn't, you know, when it's under a wig and a weave, like to make sure it's still healthy. So many of us are wearing them and we're the first to do that. So they, we partner with our, with our real estate, our real, our retail partners to mm -hmm. create these lines. Mm -hmm. And they loved it. They're like, this is a new white space. So let's partner together. And that created, you know, that synergy that I wanted back again. Mm -hmm. Cause I was used to being like their favorite child. You know what I mean? And then I your favorite know. child, and then you lose that for a minute. So then I brought that white space. They loved it. And they're like, okay, this is where we want to go. Cause so I many, not even just women of color, but Caucasian women are wearing wigs and weaves. And the hair under there needs to be catered to still. Mm. So that was uh, coming back and realizing, listen, Mahisha, you're a pioneer. I was one of the original four brands that opened up this, this space in Target before anyone else did it. Linda Sullivan, she was a Caucasian buyer for ethnic hair, saw a decline in relaxer sales, right? And she was like, what's going on here? She started to do her research and she called me, Miss Jessie's, Shea Moisture, and Jane Carter to do an in-cap, 105 store test to see how we would do. And that's what got it going. And then we grew from 100 doors to 300, 600, and then nationwide. And along the way, the other retailers copied. And so we were the original four that they really said, okay, this natural hair thing is in a fad. It's not going away. And we kicked it off. Mm -hmm. So you go from the mud to being an entrepreneur and founder. You go from this incredible moment of darkness into this like innovative space again and light back to being one of the favorite child children. One of the things you talked about was being the first, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so often we are trying to be the first, the first in our families, the first in our categories, the first to do something that nobody else has done. 
Um, what did it feel like being the first? Did you feel pressure? Did you feel excitement? Did you feel energy? What Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Was it like being one of the first to kind of be a pioneer in this space? Oh my God, so excited. I was okay. excited. I have the first picture of me on the end cap like this. <laughs> like, I went to the store as soon as the day it launched. It was an Ardway in Sacramento. I looked a mess though. I, I, I'll show you the picture. I was so excited. It was a day of pride. I would go in and see my products on the shelf. That was the best day of my life. Mm. And, you know, back then, the buyers really worked with us because they really wanted it to really work. Mm. And they were really great partners. Target, always a great partner, always. Mm. And they are still growing black brands really well. Sure. So yeah, that was a good moment. That was mm -hmm. a good moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't feel fear, I felt pride and excitement. Mm -hmm. All right, so you are running a company now with 200 plus employees. I would consider you multi-million dollar business, right? I would consider you a real boss. I think a lot of times in social media, you see a lot of people claiming to be a boss um, and don't have stats that mm. anywhere come near the, the type of business that you're building and what do you do and what you're doing. What do you think it takes to be a real boss? Like, you can't mm. just claim it. You just can't say it. Like, what does it mean to be a real boss? Well, you have to lead. And I, I, I actually like to like compare it to almost being a mother. Mm. When you have so many people that are relying on you for their their financial stability, for their livelihood, for their growth, you know, almost like a mentor to, to people. But also, I have four children, right? And each one of my kids needs something different from me. I have my little 12 year old who is running me ragged because she likes boys too early and wants makeup. I have to reel her in. I have two shy ones in the middle. I have to push them out. And my oldest one is thriving in business and I have to give them a different piece of me. Same with business, right? If I have such a great team that's supporting me, I need to also be there for them to help grow them and uplift them and be there to show them that I care about them. Just not just about what they're doing for curls, but about them personally. Like I celebrate their birthdays, their children, and they come to my personal events. It's a family. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest piece is connecting personally because when they know you care, they'll give you more of themselves. Mm -hmm. You can't just expect output without any emotion or any like connectivity. Mm -hmm. So I hire people that number one, they, they work hard, right? But there has to be some sort of synergy with us, right? And I need to be able to feed into someone, but also someone that's going to receive from me and be open to it. Mm -hmm. That's leading. Mm -hmm. And and I don't want to refer to them as my children because we're all adults, but I give different pieces of myself to people in my organization. That's like motherhood. Yeah, I love that. Um, one of the things I used to say all the time is um, it's not as a leader, it's not what happens to you, it's what happens through you. Mm. And so much of what you're talking about is what is happening through me as I pour into these people, as I celebrate these people. There's also another philosophy people talk a lot. It's like the I, we, them. And you move from like the I, which is probably like you when you were trying to do it at Pfizer by yourself to the we, come on guys, to then the them, which it is really about them and how do you pour into them and get the most out of them. Them, right. You know um, what? What's interesting, if I can say yeah, this, Janelle, my right hand, who's been with me for such a long time, said yesterday, Mahisha, we are all loyal to you. I mean, curls is secondary, but they their loyalty is connected to me. And I'm like, wow, it's because of all the things that I feed back into them. So that's where the, why they're so, so willing and able to do any and everything. I love it.
Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's not just because you posted a picture on the gram and said you're a boss, right? It's because you are pouring into people, um, doing the real work. Um, speaking about doing the real work, one of the things that I love about black businesses, I feel like when I was younger, so many black businesses I would define as like lifestyle businesses. Mm -hmm. And so they were businesses that were making good money, but they were really just there for the founder to live a good lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. The founder was driving a nice car. The founder was living in a nice house, but they weren't building sustainable businesses. And even more than that, maybe they weren't actually giving back. What are you doing, if anything, to kind of give back to whatever communities that, that matter the most to you? Well, my mother raised me to believe to whom much is given, much is required. Amen. And, you know, so now that I've made it, you know, and my mm -hmm. kids are set, like, what else can I do with my life? You know, there has to be more. So I had a show on OWN, Mind Your Business with Mahisha, right? And that wrapped after season one. Got lots of requests for one-on-one -on -one mentorship, which I don't have the space to do, you know, more than maybe 10. Right. So I created a nonprofit, Black Women Making Millions Academy. Beautiful. Nonprofit, giving back to those women, free resources, information, access, tools, funding, um, events that help them get to and through success. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we're up 300%, 300% growth in Black female-based businesses, mm -hmm. but less than 4% will get to the million dollar mark. Mm -hmm. So my goal is to help bridge that gap and get people, the women, what they need. So we have our first back in-person event, nice. August 16th. Nice. We've done a lot of Zoom since COVID. Before COVID, we had in-person events and we're back doing it August 16th in Atlanta. JP Morgan is, is sponsoring it. Beautiful. Lots of amazing speakers. We have to get the women out there. It's no charge to them, but mm -hmm. we just really need to level the playing field. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I th if you think about our other counterparts, like I have a lot of friends who, you know, other ethnicities, but they have been given different access just by birth, mm -hmm. right? That we don't have. So I feel like it's the, on the onus of us black business owners to help. Once you make it, what are you going to do to, to reach back mm -hmm. and bring forward? That's mm -hmm. something I think we need to really care more about mm -hmm. versus flash on the gram, your new car or whatever. You know, I think it's frivolous. Mm -hmm. I think what can we do to lift the next next generation should be our thought process. Yeah, I love it. I tell brands all of the time that now, you know, more than ever, people don't want you just to make great brand with a great product. They want to know that you're helping to create the world that they want to live on, live in, right? And so when you look underneath the hood of curls, right, you will find this amazing work that you're doing to uplift and lift up other black entrepreneurial women. Um, before we get out of here, you dropped a couple of brands. You talked about Target being supportive. You talked about Chase being supportive supportive in this initiative. Where else can I find curls? What other brands have been supportive in your mission in terms of giving you distribution and the space to do what you do? Well, Target was our first, right? So first entry, we're in Target, but we're in Sally Beauty, mm -hmm. we're in Walmart, Walgreens, Rite Aid, CVS, mm -hmm. a bunch of other OTC, like beauty supply stores, stores in the UK, Toronto, all over all over the you know Europe and Canada and Africa, we're the global everywhere. baby. Hey, yeah, we global. But mostly, you know, our major like partners are the Targets, CVS, Walgreens, Rite Aid, Walmart, Sally Beauty. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we recently just saw Myel sell, mm -hmm. right? Oftentimes, when black businesses. Um, sell and specifically sell to non-black businesses, they get beat up, mm. right? Um, me personally, like I get it. There's like the, the, the path to eliminating the racial wealth gap is building black 
wealth, right? And that is one way in which you do it. Have you thought about your own exit plan? Have you thought about um, one day, how do you decide whether you hand this business over to somebody else or whether you keep running it forever? Have you thought about your exit strategy? Well, you know, and I'm going to speak to that. And people are really giving Monique a hard time. Oh, yes, like, they are. same with Lisa Price. Yep. Oh my God, Rich from Shea Moisture. People are getting really reamed for that. I think that we want to own what is ours. I understand that. Yeah. Uh, but everyone has a different journey. And think about it. All the other business owners have a path. You should have the exit plan before you even start the business. That's, exactly that's right. like really the way you should think <laughs> of it. Exactly right. And I know we don't get that, but that's realistic because you have to exit at the right time mm -hmm. before you go down. Because sometimes there's a path, there's a clear journey with entrepreneurship. You have to exit up here or maybe here, not down here. Um, so yes, I have thought about it, right? And my daughter, though, 12-year-old, she's like, mommy, I'm gonna take over curls. Okay. And I might let Bryce move some boxes, but Isabella can't work for me. Um, I'll let Kiana still stay. So she wants curls, that's what she said, she wants curls. But I mean, I love my brand, I birthed it, it's one of my children, I need mm -hmm. to be a little less like connected to it, I feel, but realistically, I think it is something that everyone should think about. And I'm not gonna say anything more than that because I don't wanna get rid on social media. But listen, you guys, if you own a business and you create a business, you should have an exit plan. It's not a bad thing. But if you wanna be intentional and careful, monitor who you sell to. Now that's the biggest thing mm -hmm. because who you sell to will determine what they do with your brand. Now what they do with her brand, I don't know. They may water it down to save money, economies of scale. They may change the packaging, they may change the formulas. A lot of times those big companies do that and she won't have any control over it. Mm -hmm. That's the hard part. Mm -hmm. So just sell to the right company. Yeah, you know that if you are looking to raise money and you're building an investor deck, like investors won't even look at the deck unless there's a slide in there that says exit plan, right? right? So to your point, like you're supposed to be thinking about your exit plan before the thing even, before you even give birth to the thing. But right? we're not ready for that conversation as a people yet. We don't want to hear that. We're not ready for it. We're no. not ready. One of the reasons why I love, I sit on the board of Ben & Jerry's, one who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. One of the reasons why I love sitting on the board of Ben & Jerry's is because when Ben & Jerry's sold to Unilever, they did a lot of things to maintain the soul of the brand. Mm. And so every day I get to watch and study how someone sold their brand to somebody, but to your point, still has a way of making sure that that brand stays but that brand should stay forever. So I get to learn on the inside from That's there. That's amazing. The DNA is important to keep. Exactly. Because you'll lose your consumer. That's exactly right. And some of those c companies don't really care about that. That's, that's and exactly that right. happens sometimes. So that's the unfortunate part. That's exactly right. Well, Queen, I've had an, an, an incredible time with you. I haven't gotten to see you since COVID hit. And so it is wonderful to see you in person, to connect with you in person. I love your story. You made it from the mud all the way to being the queen bee, the boss who is not just taking care of hundreds of employees, who is not just building an incredible beauty platform for black women, um, but who is also doing the work to lift other black women and black entrepreneurs up. And so I wanna give you your flowers and celebrate you. Thank you for coming to spend the time with us here at the Black Print at Revolt. And just say thank you for being here. And thank I'll see you, you Dallas. You will see me in Dallas, promise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
I think three lessons that we can all learn from the conversation with Mahisha. Um, one is know yourself, know who you are. Again, she felt like she was growing up in the mud, surrounded by, um, she talked about drive-bys and gang-banging and her brother going in and out of jail, but she knew that's not who she was. And so being able to identify our true authentic selves, to be the original intent to the way that God made us and to recognize that even though you might not be in that situation today, that there's a pathway for you to get to where you're supposed to be. Two, she talked about process, knowing her process. Um, it is because she falls away from her process that it ends up costing her $7 million. It is because she falls away from her process that has always worked for her that she ends up falling into this deep, dark, dark place. And so the idea of building processes that work, that help us be successful and help us get to the win and not trying to take shortcuts later, but staying true to those processes is incredibly important. And then three, she just talked about what a real boss is, what it means to be a real leader. And that is shifting from, it's not about I, it's not even about we, it's about them. Who am I helping to lift up? Who am I helping to get to that next level? When you are truly a boss, you are operating on a level where it's really not about you, it's about what's happening through you. And Mahisha's story demonstrates all of that. Outside of that, there are a ton of gems that you can find in this story. I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of The Black Print. And until then, I'll see you next time. Peace. knows how to get your lawn ready for spring and right now you can get up to $20 off select Scott's triple action fertilizer plus get a cobalt 40 volt 15 inch string trimmer or leaf blower your choice $149 only at Lowe's get set for spring visit us in store or online today because Lowe's knows home improvement
Valid 39 through 322. Selection varies by location. While supplies last, excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Lowe's knows how to get your lawn ready for spring. And right now, you can get up to $20 off Select Scott's Triple Action Fertilizer. Plus, get a Cobalt 40-volt 15-inch string trimmer or leaf blower. Your choice, $149, only at Lowe's. Get set for spring. Visit us in-store or online today. Because Lowe's knows home improvement. Valid 39 through 322. Selection varies by location. While supplies last, excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.